It's great worship here this morning, and uh, just excited to be here, excited to just gather together and just hear what God has for us here today. I was going to start out by making a joke about thinking about wearing shorts this morning and because it's summer outside, but Ethan already did that, so I'm going to skip. We really need to coordinate our jokes a little bit better in the office, but... um, just give you a quick update. Uh, Pastor Steve is over in Sierra Leone um, for uh, this week, and he'll be coming he- heading home on Friday. Uh, got over there safely, going well. Um, this morning they had their service, and so I know uh, he texted Stephanie some pictures of that service. And if you remember, uh, the part of what they were doing this morning was dedicating uh, one of the pastors that he's discipling his new baby, and so they got to do that. And so it's going well. So continue to pray for him throughout the week. Like I said, he'll be heading home on Friday. He'll be back with us next Sunday, so we're excited about that. Well, um, Ethan also mentioned earlier that last week we got to jump back into our Made for More series um, through Ephesians, and we jumped into chapter 4. Last week we talked about how in the first half of the book, chapters 1 through 3, Paul really focused a lot on uh, how we should think, how we should think about God and ourselves and just what he's done for us. And we talked about in chapter four, he really makes a shift and starts talking about the way that we should live that out and how that affects uh, the way that we do life. And so we also started shifting our mindset our, our, um, to this idea of less control, um, from more control to more missionaries. Or in other words, that the calling that God has given each of us um, doesn't usually take place in the control of maybe a church program or a church setting. Um, but that we need to shift our mindset that each of us is a missionary that's sent out each and every day wherever we're working, playing, um, studying. And so Paul started chapter 4 by focusing us on the unity um, of the calling that Christ has given us. That we're all called to make disciples who make disciples. And he started just using all these, um, this language that, uh, of unification here. So we're going to jump in uh, to the chapter, continue to see where Paul takes us from here. So if you want to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, today we're going to be looking at verses 7 through 16. So we'll start in verse 7. So Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So I don't know if you noticed this, but we see this shift in Paul's wording in verse 7. He shifts from the language that he started the chapter with of this unity, all He uses that word one uh, multiple times, and he shifts and he says, each. So he shifts the mindset of the collective and talking as a whole to he starts talking to us as individuals. He wants us to understand that although we are unified um, in the basis and the goal which we're called, as individual followers of Jesus, we still have um, individual responsibilities within that hall. He's kind of he's warning us against falling into that trap of the collective we, okay? It's kind of this church thing that we do where we say things like this. We say, we really should be doing more outreach. We really shouldn't be doing that. I don't think we're making very good decisions. And then if somebody would say, who's we? We're like, oh, well, I'm not sure who he is, but it's not me, I can tell you that, right? That's kind of the way, it's, it's this, we should do this, we should do this, we shouldn't do that. 
Um, but when we're thinking about it, who is the we? Well, it's each of us as individuals, right? And so he's kind of warning uh, us to, not to fall into that trap. He's making sure that we understand the unity of the church doesn't negate the responsibility of us as individual believers. The we, central, can't do what we're called to do if the me, or you, doesn't called to what we're supposed to do, right? We can't do what God has called us to do as a church if you aren't doing what you're called to do as a believer. I'm not called... Uh, or I'm not doing what God has called me to be. So as we go through this today, I really want you to be self-focused, okay? I know that's what usually in church we're saying we want to be others-focused. Today I want you to be a little self-focused in the sense that we want to reflect and say, okay, God, what are you trying to show me? What, what is it that I need to be doing? Um, am I being the me that I'm supposed to so that central can be the we that we're supposed to? So the first thing I want us to notice is that every believer has been given spiritual gifts, okay? Every believer has been given spiritual gifts. Like we said in verse 7, Paul complements his emphasis on unity with this explanation of this diversity of gifting. I mean, if you look around even uh, our sanctuary here today, we've got people from all kinds of backgrounds, right? We've got people from all kinds of different ethnic backgrounds, different countries, people from different Uh, economic statuses, people of all different education levels, people of all different kinds of ages. We have people with all different kinds of personalities. Yet God wants to use us to make a difference uh, for him. He wants all of us to be making disciples who make disciples, but it's going to look a little bit different for each and every one of us. In verse 7, he says, but this grace was given to each one of us. And I want to kind of define that a little bit. A lot of times when we hear that grace was given to us, we, we usually think of it as God's saving grace, right? Um, and that's certainly true. Everything that we receive from God, including saving grace, is, is because of grace. We don't deserve any of it. Uh, but he's kind of using this in a little different way. He's kind of using this in the sense of um, grace to minister. That Not only God has saved us in a gracious way, but he also wants to use us in a gracious way. It's similar to what Paul says back in chapter 3, verse 8, when he's talking about himself. And he's saying, um, to me, Paul, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me. What grace? To preach the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That God graciously bestowed upon Paul this calling to go preach to the Gentiles. And so here he's using that term in a similar idea where God has graced us, he has given us um, this, this capability of ministry. He's given us uh, essentially gifts um, to minister. That's why he goes on in verse 8 and he says, Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And he's actually quoting here um, Psalm 68. And Psalm 68 is a, it's a psalm where God's people are crying out for God to come and, and save them and vindicate them. And so you go, if you go through and study through the psalm, which we don't have time to do this morning, it's this image of God coming down um, from on high and fighting for his people. And then he ascends back up. Um, and that's where we kind of get this verse in the psalm. When he ascended on high, he victoriously went back up the mountain in that context. And it says he led a host of, captive, uh, host of captives And it's this idea that uh, a victorious king would have the people that he defeated in tow often, kind of as a demonstration of the fact that he had been victorious. And then he gave gifts 
to men. And so there was this idea that when a king came back from a battle victoriously, they would divide the spoils out among the people. The things that um, they had gained, they would distribute them out among the peoples. Um, And so what Paul is doing is he's giving us this imagery in reference to Jesus, where he says, when he ascended, when he went back up to heaven, it's because he went back up in victory. He had descended, he had come down to earth, he had lived a perfect life, he had died on the cross, he was buried, he was resurrected, and then what happened? He ascended back to heaven in victory, right? And so this idea of say, well, who are the captives that he's taking? What's this idea of the principalities, the powers of evil that he has defeated? And then it says he turns around and he gives gifts um, back to men. He gave gifts to men. And so kind of if you're reading through that, verse 8 and 9 and 10 are kind of an explanation of how verse 7 happened is basically what it is. It's kind of a parenthesis. So Paul says that God gave each of us, he distributed to each of us a gift or gifts to go out and do what he's called us to do, spiritual gifts. And so um, if you are a believer in Jesus, you have spiritual gifts. Like he's given you spiritual gifts. It doesn't matter old Young, it doesn't matter if you're articulate or really awkward with people. It doesn't matter any of those things. God has given you a gift. And spiritual gifts are not just natural talents. They're much more than that. Um, Spiritual gifts are also not ministry slots that are tied to certain church programs. So I can't say, what's my spiritual gift to be a youth pastor? No. You can't say, it's what's my spiritual gift to be on the worship team? Or it's my spiritual gift to teach in Awana class? No, those aren't spiritual gifts. Those are roles that we play. You might use your spiritual gifts, hopefully, in those roles, but spiritual gifts are something well outside of that. It's a a God-given ability graciously given by God to empower each believer to accomplish their God-given mission. And so he goes down and he kind of shows us that this is what Christ has done. When he was victorious, he turned around and he handed out these gifts uh, for us to be able to live out the life that he's called us to. Um, that's the idea here. And it's cool because God gave you the perfect gifts to fulfill the masterpiece mission that he's given for you. God gave you the perfect gifts to fulfill the mission he's given you. What gifts we have, says, are decided by Christ. That's why at the end of verse 7 it says, according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's the one who makes those decisions. It's not like when we get saved, we, we, we go to the menu of spiritual gifts and say, oh, I'll take that one. I'd really like that one. I'd really like no. He gives us what he wants. Why? Because he's the king. He knows the best way that we're going to make an impact for him. He knows the best plan for our life, and he's gifted us each accordingly. Um, Now, in Scripture, there are over 20 gifts listed in different places, and likely these are not comprehensive lists. There are probably more than those um, that that are listed, but God's gifted us each in a unique way so that we can go out and we can make disciples who make disciples, and he wants to use us each to do that. Another thing I want us to notice is that our gifts were given to us at a high cost. Um, Think about this. One of the reasons that a gift is meaningful when we receive one is because we realize it costs the person giving it to us something, right? Uh, Whether it costs them money and they went out and they bought us something, or um, a lot of times even more uh, special to us is if it it cost them time or it cost them effort uh, to, to make something or put something together special for us. That's one of the reasons that gifts are so special. And the giver had to sacrifice something in order to give it to us. And that's so true of our spiritual gifts as well. This is one of the things that, that really hit me um, this week 
You know, I, I, sometimes when I think about God and the way he gives us things, I just think, well, he's God. So he just, he's got all what he, everything, right? So he just can hand it out uh, willy-nilly. Um, but when it comes to our spiritual gifts and we look at verses 8 through 10, we realize spiritual gifts were given because of what Jesus did. That he came down and the sacrifice that he made, the death that he died on the cross and being buried and then resurrecting, that's what enabled him to give the gifts. Um, he, th- these gifts weren't given until after the ascension. Um, so it cost God something to give us these gifts. So what ungratefulness on our part if these costly gifts that Jesus has given to him, we chuck them in the closet to never use them. Uh, we want to use the gifts that he has given us, right? Um, Paul says these gifts, they were given after Christ ascended, right? After the ascension. And I don't think this is a coincidence because what else happened at the ascension? That's also when he gave us the command to make disciples, right? That's right before he ascended. He said, go and make disciples, teaching them all things that I have taught you. And so there's this connection between us going and making disciples and then these gifts that were given. What's the connection? Well, the gifts were given to us so that we can go out and we can make disciples. And it says even at the end of verse uh, 10, well, after Jesus ascended, he goes up into the heavens. Why? So that he might fill all things. And if that language sounds familiar, it's from chapter 1, verse 23, where we talked about the way that Jesus fills all things is through us as a church. He says, which is his body, the church, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So there's that same idea that God wants to use us, the church, to go out and make him known all over the world. So the church doesn't lack gifts because we all have them. And we certainly don't lack the power. I mean, we have the power of the resurrection in our corner, right? Philippians 3.10, that we might know him in the power of his resurrection. So if we feel as a church limited or we feel powerless to go out and make a difference, it's because we've got many spiritually gifted Christians and we're allowing our gifts to go unused. It's not that we don't have them. And it's not that we don't have the power to use them. It's just that we're not. So what is your gift? What are your gifts? I think sometimes we're not sure. It might be, we might be afraid to try and find them uh, because if we find our gift that God has given us, it does have the potential to mess with our comfortable and safe plans right? It's like, if I don't know it, then I don't, I, don't, I don't think I have to think about it. But if we know what God has called us to, we know the gifts he's given us to do it, then sometimes it messes with our plans that are, we're comfortable with and we're safe. So how do you find your spiritual gift? Um, scripture doesn't give us necessarily like a one, two, three step plan of how to find our spiritual gifts. But here's some that I think we can see in scripture at different times. Um, I think part of it is just experimenting, seeing what God just trying some stuff and seeing maybe what God um, has gifted you at. What, what are you just naturally good at? I think in a way it's similar to natural talents as far as finding them. You know, how do you know if you're good at piano? Well, you sit down and try and learn something, right? How do you know if you can throw a football? Well, pick one up and see if you can throw it at somebody, right? I mean, that's kind of how we, we learn things about ourselves. And I think in a spiritual sense, we do that as well. Do I have the gift of teaching? How do I know? Maybe you try and teach something. Do we have the gift of giving? Give something. You know, do we have the gift of compassion? Well, we should all be compassionate. We should all be doing these things in different ways, but I think God's gifted us um, some specifically. So just trying things, 
Um, I think another way is just following our heart's desires and passions. As we, as we get to know Jesus more, he puts passions and desires in our hearts, and it only makes sense that the gifts he's given us would line up with those passions. What are you passionate about? What are you excited to do for Jesus? Um, I think another way is to just ask other people in our lives who have some spiritual maturity. Sometimes God allows others to see things in us that we don't see in ourselves. Um, even with Paul, uh, there's a man, I, I think it was Ananias, um, that he knew God's plan for Paul's life before Paul knew God's plan for Paul's life. God revealed it to him before he even revealed it to Paul. So sometimes God just lets others see things in us that maybe we don't even see in ourselves. Um, on a real practical level, um, our, um, our classes that we just started on Sunday mornings, our, our impact development classes, one of them is called um, GPS. It's, it's about finding out what our passions are, uh, what our giftings are. And so, by the way, see, we're trying to make all this stuff work together, you know, so, trying to do our best. Um, but that might be a way, a place to start. There's actually a, um, a survey about spiritual gifts on the back table this week. So if you want to grab one, you want to take it, and you want to show up at the class next week, they'll be talking through it. So um, I think there's lots of different ways we can find. But I think the most important one is ask God to reveal it to you. He, he gave it to you. He wants you to know what it is, so ask him. Just say, God, show me what are my gifts. Show me what are the things that you want me to use to make an impact for you. Because, of course, God doesn't only want us to know what our gifts are. More importantly, he wants us to use them to accomplish what he has for us. So number two, we're supposed to use these gifts to fulfill the calling that God has put on our lives. Look at verse 11. It says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here Paul kind of gives us some examples and some instruction on how these gifts are supposed to be used. These gifts are the tools that God has given us to take Jesus into every nook and cranny of society. Again, at the end of verse 10, it's that idea of filling all in all, right? That we're to use these gifts to take Jesus out and make a difference for him. Now, as I mentioned earlier, there are over 20 gifts mentioned in Scripture, and we certainly don't have time this morning to go through all of those and dig into all of them. But Paul gives us some specific examples here. And these that he mentions, these are specific gifts that God used to really get the church started, really lay a foundation, um, started in a unique way. And as you read through the list, it might look like there are five, but there are actually four. You have apostle, you have prophet, you have evangelist, and you see, then you see that pastor and teacher. But in the Greek, there's, it's, it's combined. It's this idea of pastor-teacher. All right, And they're, they're linked together. So I'm just going to real quickly run through these. So apostles, um, in a strict sense, these are the people who saw the resurrected Jesus and had a special authority given to them by Christ uh, to help establish the church. So we think of these people as like the 12 disciples minus Judas, but then they put Matthias in there, so you still got 12. Then there's Paul. Uh, you got James, Jesus' half-brother that wrote the book of James. And then there may be a couple others that we're not 100% sure on. But the entire New Testament was written either by an apostle or somebody who is backed by an apostle. So you've got like Mark and Luke who weren't apostles, 
but they're connected with Peter and Paul who were. And so there's this authority, this um, authority of an apostle behind those books. In this sense, there are no apostles today. We don't need apostles like this because we have what? We have scripture, right? We have scripture, so we don't need apostles like that um, today. But there certainly are people who are gifted in the same vein as these guys were in the sense of just visionary leadership and going out and just taking the gospel further. Um, And so I think that God still equips people. He still gives people in that same idea, but certainly not as apostles in the strict sense. The next one is prophets. And when we think of prophecy, what do we often think of? We think of telling the future, right? But even if you go through and you read through the prophets in the Old Testament, a very, very small percentage of what they did was tell the future. Very small. Um, a prophet, in this broadest sense, is just um, somebody who spoke on God's behalf. So a prophet um, is basically someone who tells God's truth in a timely and effective um, manner. And so certainly there are still people that are gifted in that sense, where they just can tell God's truth from Scripture um, in a timely and effective way. Evangelists, um, we have really only one or two examples in Scripture of someone who is called this, uh, Philip. Uh, If you think about Philip um, and the Ethiopian eunuch, he was called an evangelist. He went and he shared Jesus. An evangelist is someone with a special ability to share the gospel in a really relevant and compelling way uh, to unbelievers. And then you get the idea of a pastor teacher. The real word actually there is shepherd teacher. Um, And this is someone who loves and cares for a group of people through teaching them God's word, caring for them. And this, understand that this is a gift. It's not a, uh, this is not a specific role, okay? So there can be people who aren't pastors in the sense of, we often think of it as in that work at a church that still have the gift of being a pastor teacher, um, certainly. Um, So we see that Paul kind of lays out these examples but then he goes in, and this is where I want us to focus a little bit, but that the purpose of church is to prepare us for what God has called us to do. Again, the purpose of church is to prepare us for what God has called us to do. I think a lot of times we get that mindset of kind of everything happening within the church because we don't know what church is. We, we get confused into what church is. So I was thinking about this. If we did a coloring contest, or I should say an art contest today over in Children's Church, and I said, all right, we're going to give a prize, whatever, away to the kid who does the best picture of the church. And so Pastor Brian passed out crayons and markers and paints. And don't get stressed out. He's not actually doing this, okay? So your kids will come back, I think, clean. Um, but let's say we did that. And we, we had him doing it, and we evaluated all the pictures. You know what I bet? I bet almost every picture would be of a building. I bet it would be of a building. That's not the church. That's the place where the church gathers. You know why I think they would do that? Because I think if I did the same art contest in here, we'd draw pictures of buildings. And that's where we just, we get so confused because that's not what the church is. The church is just a, or the church is the people. See, I, I can't even say it right. The church is the people. This building is just the place where the church comes and the church gathers. So when we gather together, um, that's, that's what we're supposed to do is to just get ready. Um, the word that Paul uses here is the word equip, or it might be translated prepare. And the first time in the New Testament that this word is used is in Matthew 4, Jesus comes across uh, James and John, and it says that they are preparing their nets. 
So they're what? Fishermen, right? And it's the same word here. They're, they're preparing their nets. What are they preparing their nets to do? Go out and fish, right? They're not preparing their nets just to prepare their nets and say, look how nice our nets are. They're preparing their nets so that then they can actually go and do the bigger task, right? That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what it's supposed to be for believers. It's a place where we get prepared for our intended service. Here is not where we complete our intended service. It's where we get ready to do what God has called us to do. Um, It's not where we do it. It's where we get ready to do it. So when we gather together, the goal is not to do ministry. It's to prepare each of us to go and do ministry. It's a big distinction, right? But often we get that flipped around in our minds. So if someone came up to you and said, hey, what ministry are you involved in? A lot of us would lift off the stuff we do here at church. Well, I'm involved in Awana, or I'm involved in the worship team, or I teach a class, or I work in children's church, or I, I lead something in youth group. That's what we're used to. That's what we're comfortable with. That's what a lot of us grew up under that model. And I'm not saying no ministry should or does happen here. But if we look at it, the majority of the ministry that happens in the New Testament is not in church. Um, Jesus' ministry, the, the apostles' ministry, it happens when they're out and about. When they're out and about, they're making a difference. They're taking Jesus out to the community. So kind of like Steve was saying last week, this should be the gas station right, that fuels us up for the trip, or um, it should be the, the workout facility where the athlete gets ready to go play the game. It should be the training center where the soldier gets ready to go and do the mission. So as we gather together, the goal is for us to be equipped or to be prepared to use these gifts that God's given us to do the work of the ministry, which is discipling people and uh, building up the body of Christ. So you see those two um, phrases that are used there, Um, in verse number 10, or I'm sorry, verse number 12, uh, to do the work of the ministry and building up of the body. So those kind of encompass discipleship. You might think of it as the work of the ministry is the going out um, into the community. And then there is an aspect of building up the body, encouraging one another, coming together, um, and helping each other prepare to go out and make that difference. So as we gather as a church to help us discover and develop our spiritual gifts that God's given us for the purpose of being able to go out and make disciples who make disciples. And these gifts are at the very core of us accomplishing what God's called us to do. And we've got to use them, right? Um, Like we mentioned last week, being on the team is not what God has called us to. Uh, Just having the Jesus jersey and wanting to participate in the post-game celebration, i.e. heaven, is not it. That's part of it, but that's not it. Um, you know, I, I used to think of it this way, or I was thinking about it this way this week. This might be a really dumb analogy, so if it is, sorry. But that this idea that God has given us spiritual gifts, it's like, it's not just the bonus features on the DVD, you know? It's like you buy the DVD for the movie, they might throw the bonus features on there. If you want to watch them, fine. If you don't, that's not why you bought it in the first place, Right? That's not what spiritual gifts are. They're not just something that God tags on, and if we want to use them, great. And if we don't, that's great. Uh, No, they are the tools that God gives us to accomplish the the mission uh, that he's given us. It's, it's, It's a really serious thing, but it's also a really joyful thing. When we discover and develop and are using the spiritual gifts God has given us, we're going to be more fulfilled than we otherwise could be. 
It's living out the very thing that we're created for. And our best life is using our unique gifts and unique things that God has given us, these spiritual gifts, to accomplish the goal that God made us for in the first place. Now, the same gifts aren't always used in the same way, right? So if you look around, we've got a couple hundred people here. There's going to be overlap of gifts, but that doesn't mean that they're always going to be used in the same way. For example, if someone has the gift of evangelism, maybe that means uh, they're like Billy Graham and they're, they're sharing the gospel with stadiums full of people. But there could be somebody else who has the gift of evangelism that just day after day is sharing at their workplace who Jesus is and, and what he's done. Or you might have somebody who does have that gift of, of pastoring, teacher, teaching, and they are a pastor of a large megachurch. Thousands of people hear them each week. Or there might be somebody who has that same gift of pastor teaching and um, they lead a junior high girls small group. It, it looks different for each of us. It looks different for each of us. The question is, are we thinking the right way? So when we come in on Sundays, when we come in on Wednesdays, you know, what's, what's my mentality? What's your mentality? Is it, well, I hope I get something out of this because that's really me focused or is it even, okay, I don't want to be selfish. It's to do my ministry? Or is it, I come to get ready and be prepared to go out and to do my ministry, to make an impact for Jesus this week? And that leads us to our last point, is that when each believer is using his or her gifts, the church functions the way that it should. The church functions the way that it should. Um, let's look at verse 14. Actually, let's start back in 13 again. So we're to do this. We're to come and get prepared, get ready. When, until when? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So we're to continue to do this until verse 13 says it in a couple different ways, but until we all become like Christ, until we're all mature in our relationship with Christ. So in a practical sense, we do that till we're in heaven, right? That's, we, keep, we keep on at it, right? Um, but we, um, when we, so here's, all right, sorry, pause, restart. So maturity though, growth to that maturity is a process, okay? Um, nobody starts mature. Even in verse 14, Paul says, so that we may no longer be children. What's implied there? That at one point we are children, right? In the faith. Um, nobody starts mature. Um, if you haven't known Jesus very long, then you're going to have some spiritual immaturity in you. That's, that's okay. The issue comes is when, as time passes, we don't mature, right? We don't change. I mean, in 1 John, John talks to different uh, levels of believers, different maturities of believers. He says, hey, spiritual children, here are some things for you. Then he goes on and he says, hey, spiritual young men, some of you who have grown up a little bit more, young women implied as well, um, Here's some things for you. And then he comes on and he says, hey, spiritual fathers, here are some things for you. So there's, we grow up in the faith, right? We start as spiritual kids. We're born into the family of God, and then we've got to grow up. Um, another way that we think about it and we talk about it here is the four chairs, right? 
Um, that's what we're talking about. Some people are in chair one, and so they're just getting connected to God. Maybe they um, need to get saved and accept him as Savior, or they just have. They're so getting connected to him into his body. Then there's chair two, where we're trying to grow in that relationship, trying to understand more about what he is. Then we jump that big cultural gap, and we get out from just the church, and we go and we share Jesus and take him to other people. And then we mature to chair four, where not only are we doing those things, but we're coming back over here and we're taking somebody and trying to move them along, right? That's the process that we're supposed to take, is we've just got to move. Every chair is great. Staying in any chair is not great. We don't want to just park it, right, in chair one or chair two. We want to keep moving on and then help others do the same. And as we grow, there are different focuses, different responsibilities, right? And it's our job to help others come along the way. The thing about your house, this is kind of how it works at our house. We've got, we've got all different kinds of levels of maturity at our house right now. So we've got Amanda and I, of course, I'm very mature. She's just slightly behind me. Um, not true, not true. Um, so as the adults, we're the mature ones, right? And then we've got Kyla, who's eight. And then we've got Dakota, who's five. And then Braley, who's just nine months old. And so in our house, though, we're trying to help each other grow. So as the parents, obviously the the responsibility for the most part falls on us, but everybody in the house is helping the person uh, below them, if you want to call it that, grow. For example, Kyla's into, she's into cooking lately. She really wants to cook. And so we're trying to help her learn to cook. I will let you guess who helps her the most, okay? If she wants to cook frozen pizzas, I'm the guy. If she wants to cook anything else, then Amanda helps her with that, right? Uh, but so we're helping her learn these things, helping her learn these skills, and of course, all these other things. Well, she helps Dakota. They sit down together and they'll read together because Kyla can read and Dakota can't read. She's just learning. So Kyla helps Dakota learn to read. Dakota's five. She thinks she's like 16, but she's five. And so she, though, has Braley. It's like, well, what's she going to do? Well, you know what? Sometimes she'll say, can I feed her? Or she'll go up to her and she'll say, can you say dada? Can you say mom? What's she doing? She's teaching her something. She's trying to teach her to talk. That's how it works in a family. That's exactly how it's supposed to work in the church. It doesn't matter where we're at. We can help somebody take that next step. And as parents, it's so fun to watch that happen. It's so fun to see them take those next steps. And on a spiritual level, how much more fulfilling. Um, when I was studying this week, um, I went down to the Gather the Coffee Shop. You all know that place. I've been there like twice in my whole life. But um, I went there to study, and um, uh, somebody came in. His name's Sean. Some of you guys know him, but he was part of our youth group some years ago. Um, I think he lives there. Um, but So I, I wasn't surprised I saw him. But what was cool was he came in. I was talking to him. What are you doing? Oh, I'm preaching this week. I got the call from the bullpen, right? Um, and uh, I said, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I actually have got... Um, one of my guys I've been working with, and we're going to sit down, and we're, we're working through Romans together. One of the highlights of my week. Why? Because I saw somebody that I had poured into, and many, many others had also poured into, turning around and pouring spiritually into somebody else. Like, so cool. That's what we want to see um, and from everyone. And then hopefully this guy that he's discipling will turn around, and eventually we'll be doing that for someone else. But growth should be a natural and exciting part of our walk with Jesus. Sometimes it's like we just don't want to grow. We're like stuck, right? Um, Dakota, I mentioned her. Like I said, she's five. She just turned five on December 1st. And I don't know how many times in the last couple of weeks she's been like, I'm almost six. 
I'm almost six. Like, first of all, no, you're not. Um, but, but you know what? That should be our attitude for spiritual growth, right? Like, I can't wait to get the next step. I can't wait to be more like Jesus. So we need to be constantly evaluating, okay, how mature am I? How mature am I spiritually? That's different than how old am I? That's different than how long have I been a Christian or how long have I been at church? It's how mature am I? Well, maturity is marked by knowing truth and living that truth. Um, Verse 14 Paul says that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. That's the idea of being confident in truth of Scripture and not being wavered. So it's not like, oh, somebody else said something different over here. Or, oh, I better believe this because somebody else said that. Oh, somebody else said that, so I better believe that. No, it's, no, God says this. Scripture says this. I'm going to stand confidently in that way, and I'm not going to be tossed to and fro. But not only knowing Scripture, um, but living it out. The next verse is one we actually say often, it says, rather, so instead of being immature and bouncing around, uh, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up, there's that idea of the fact it's a process, right? Grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Well, that, um, this is something I didn't know, so I learned this this week. The, the phrase that's translated speaking the truth in love is actually only one word. And it's the word for truth, and it's used as a verb here. So it's this idea of, of truthing. So we're to be truthing in love. Or maybe you could say living the truth in love. So is speaking the truth part of that? Absolutely. But it's much bigger than that. It's, it's almost like the Old Testament idea of faithfulness, uh, where they were supposed to be faithful to these covenants that God had placed them in. It's that idea that we are faithful to the agreement that we have made with God. And when we enter into a relationship with Jesus, it's Jesus, um, you are Lord and you are Savior. So as Lord, I'm to be obedient. I'm to do the things that you have called me to. And so it's this idea of truthing or living out the truth. Of course, nobody understands Scripture perfectly. Nobody lives it out perfectly. Um, But I think the question that we have to ask is, am I more mature than I was? Am I growing? Am I more mature Am I more confident in Scripture, and am I living out that Scripture more than I was a year ago, more than I was a month ago, however we want to ask it? But I think sometimes we, maybe as individuals, ask the question, does it really matter that much? Like, does it really matter if I'm doing my part? I'm just one person. Does it really matter? I mean, you look around, there's hundreds of people here. Does it matter if I'm not using the gifts God's given me? Yes. There are unbelievers in your circle of influence that need to hear about Jesus that I will never meet, never talk to. The person next to you will never meet, never talk to. It matters that you do your part, that I do my part. Does it really matter? Yes. There are believers in your circle of influence that you can help take the next step, that you can help disciple along, that others don't have the opportunity to do. There are people that you can influence for Jesus to take that next step so that then they can go out and do the same for others. Does it really matter if I do my part? Yes. There's a group of people, a church here, central, and we cannot accomplish to the fullest God's plan for us as a church if you and if I are not accomplishing our part. Look at the end of verse 16 again. When each part is working properly, 
It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How does the body grow, build itself up in love, do what God has called it to do? When each part is working properly. So if as individuals, as each part, we are not doing what God has called us to do, then we as a church cannot accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. That's again why we're trying to emphasize this more missionaries, that I am a missionary each day as I go out, wherever God sends me, right? Um, you, when you go out to work, when you go out to school, when you go to your uh, kids' ball games, like those are the places where to be missionaries. Not just when we're here, not just a couple hours a week, not just on this property, but God has sent us to go out, to use the gifts he's given us to make a difference for him. Dear God, thank you for today, and just thank you the fact that, um, God, not only do you save us from something, but God, that you save us for something. And God, that you have sent us out with a mission to go and make disciples who turn around and make disciples to go out and share Jesus and impact people. But God, so graciously, even in that task that you have given to us, you don't leave us on our own. God, you've given us these gifts. You've gifted each and every one of us in a unique way so that we can go out and we can make a difference for you. God, thank you that you don't just leave us on our own, but even in that, you equip us. And God, I do pray that as we come together um, as a church, as people at this place, that it would be a place where we are equipped, we are prepared, that we get ready to go out and do the ministry that you have called us to. God, we thank you for loving us. Thank you for using us in your name. Amen.